scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 1170. Again, that's Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Page 1170 in the pew Bible. There it's written, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is the final week of the Gospel Fluency series. Uh, We've been traveling through this for eight weeks now. And so just to to recap what got us here, to understand fluency is that uh, to be fluent in the gospel means everything we see and do and say is colored by the gospel. That, that when we interpret the way things are going on in the world, we do so through the lens of the gospel. When things happen to us in our lives, we interpret it through the lens of the gospel. When we talk to others, we talk to them in gospel speech. You know, as Paul says, let it be seasoned with grace and salt. Um, when, when, when we experience other things going on. It's all through the lens of the gospel. And, and, and we understand the gospel has these four parts to it. There's creation, that God made everything, including man and woman. And, and in that, at creation, in paradise, where God is with man and woman, sin comes into the world and the fall happens. That's what, why we call it the fall, because they're in paradise and they have fallen out of paradise because of sin. They were expelled by God and, and sent into this fallen world that we now live in which we toil and our flesh rises against one another and we have conflict with one another in ways we were never designed to have so. And then comes redemption. And redemption is found in Jesus Christ, who who is... God come here with us, Emmanuel, God with us, who lives and then dies on the cross willingly, shedding his blood as an atonement for all of our sins, and three days later rising from the grave, in that we are redeemed, that our sins are forgiven, and we are made righteous before our Father in heaven. And then comes new creation. One day all things will be made new, a new heaven and a new earth, and we hope and we long for that day. But we also know new creation happens in us the moment we come to faith in Christ. Scripture tells us that we must be born again, that God in that moment makes in us a new creation, a rebirth of our life now in Christ Jesus. And so knowing 
we're trying to become fluent in, in understanding the gospel, we went through and, and, and saw how it impacts every part of our lives, from our hearts, that, that really what happens, how we make decisions and where we spend our time is an overflow of what we love most in our heart. And, 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 and we've done some discerning to figure out, is the gospel of Jesus Christ what we actually love most in our heart, or have we replaced it with a lesser thing? And we realize we're not just uh, uh, people who, who feel with emotions all the time. We have a brain, too, and we think with it. And, and so we have thoughts, and we want to take captive those thoughts. That's what Paul said. Take captive your thoughts. And, it, and that's where we did the, the fruit to root on the tree, the tree exercise, and then back from the root of what is true to the true fruit that comes from it. One thing about us is that the average person has 6,000 thoughts a day. And 4,800 of those are negative. You're like, I knew it. <laughs> so that means to be an optimist is to only have 4,000 negative thoughts a day. Right? You still have a majority negative thoughts. And, and, and Paul, not understanding all of that, but knew that we must take captive our thoughts. That we must reorient our lives and our thinking around the gospel and the grace and the love found in Jesus Christ. Because we are prone to wander and we are prone to think the worst about everything. And so we're to take captive our thoughts in how we live and what's going on. And so in, in reorienting our heart to loving the gospel and taking captive our thoughts into, into believing the true things about God, it changes our actions. It, it, it has us realize that the 21 meals we have every week around a table are not opportunities to stay quiet about our faith, but those are very moments that are intimate and special to build relationships and to talk about what Jesus is doing in our very lives. But in the end, gospel fluency requires us to use our words. To be fluent in the gospel is, to more, is more than to just live a life that's changed by the gospel for people to see we must also share the good news of Jesus. And for many, this is the hard part. This is where it gets really difficult in that sharing of the gospel for a myriad of reasons. Pastor, I'm not very good at talking to people. I'm going to skip out on this one. Well, red alert, you're not allowed to. <laughs> the scripture itself makes no concessions for such a plea. In fact, Paul himself says that he is not a very good orator. He is stumbling of his speech, stumbling over himself. In fact, we know from reading scripture, Apollos is the better preacher. He's more dynamic, more charismatic. His speech flows better. Yet Paul doesn't stop telling people about the gospel. Well, pastor, 
I don't exactly know what to say. Yes, you do. You know what to say. You just haven't come to grips with it yet. There's ways to discover what to say, but one of the truths of Scripture that we know is that in that very moment, we trust the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak. Amen. comes to a trusting of God there, trusting that the Holy Spirit is there with us. Jesus tells us, look at the sparrows, look how he cares for the birds of the sky. How much more does he not care? How much more does he care for you. He's not going to leave you alone in those moments when you're trying to bring him glory and share the good news. He's going to be right there with you, and you're going to have words to say that you never knew you had words to say before. But pastor, I've got more objections. What if someone begins asking me questions I can't answer? Yeah, that's, no, it's, it's real scary. It's even scarier when you're a pastor So there's this thing that as a pastor, people assume we have the entire Bible memorized and every piece of doctrine memorized and every piece of other doctrine that others may have believed at one time memorized at well in which we are all ready to quote at any moment's notice. <laughs> Folks, I wish that was true. But it simply is not. And, and so when people have questions, what we have to be okay with is being vulnerable in that moment and saying, I don't know, but I'm willing to look and find out. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. I don't know right now. And you know what saying I don't know in that moment does? It does not make you a failure. It makes you someone they can trust because you are a real person just like them. You're not a robot filled with the facts, but a person. But pastor, what if they become argumentative and they want to debate the merits of faith in Christ? I'm not trained in apologetics. I'm not trained in debate to, to go back and forth and to refute arguments against Jesus Christ. Well, that's okay. You still have to share about them. Paul here tells us, right? Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Just because you're invited into an argument does not mean you have to participate in it. We often forget that. We are more willing and ready to take an argument at a moment's notice, even if we're unprepared. But if they want to debate, again... It's that scary thing, being vulnerable and saying, well, I'm not really sure how to respond to that. Can I have some time to think about it? What did you lose there? You lost nothing, but you got an invitation back to a second conversation. See, there's a lot of things that go on in our life that, that we do that are really hard that are really uncomfortable for us in living. And yet we still do them. Don't avoid sharing the gospel because it's hard or it's uncomfortable. Because the truth is we don't have to have it 100% right every time 
we go to share the gospel, that we go to tell someone the truth of, of God. We don't have to have it 100% right. We don't have to have all of the answers, but our speech needs to be gracious and seasoned with salt. And we definitely don't have to be able to refute every argument that comes our way. And the most important piece of all of this is you are not a failure if someone doesn't respond positively to hearing the gospel. If someone does not come to Christ, it is not because of you. Somewhere along the way, we forgot we're not God. See, God is the one who is sovereign, and we weren't given the power or the giftedness to change people's hearts. That's not who we are or what we were called to do. We know that it is God who changes hearts. For we know ourselves that it was God who changed our heart and led us into Christ. We were stubborn and rebelling against God. And yet in his loving kindness, while we were still sinning and sinners, God showed his love for us with Christ dying on the cross. It is God who pursued us. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Paul himself acknowledges here in Colossians that only God can save. And while he's here in prison, Paul is still praying for opportunities to share the gospel. He is locked up because he has shared the gospel. And in prison, and he's saying, pray for me that doors will be open so that I can tell another person the good news of Jesus. No shackles, no chains, no prison bars were going to stop him. And in doing so, he calls us not to avoid sharing the gospel, but to pray for outsiders and doors to be opened in our own lives as well. Studies have been done about Christians in the United States, and, and they get asked, those, do you share your faith? And then when you say no, there's follow-up questions. Well, why don't you share your faith? And one of the most concerning answers that pops up far too often is that one of the reasons Christians don't share the gospel is because they don't believe Jesus is the only way. And you may not be willing to say that out loud, but if you're unwilling to share the gospel because someone might be offended by it, you're believing just that. Paul tells us the truth that we preach Christ crucified because it is offensive. The gospel is offensive to us because it says we can't save ourselves. We need help. You can't do it on your own. And the gospel says, God must come and rescue us from our own sin. It's offensive in of itself. But folks, hell is real. And apart from faith in Jesus Christ, people will miss out on enjoying life with God forever. 
Notice I didn't say they'll miss out on heaven because I believe we often have a misunderstanding of what heaven truly is. That heaven is more than just a reunion and a party with friends that have long gone before us. Heaven is only paradise because God is there. And faith in Christ gets us God forever. As our father, he adopts us as sons and daughters. We're his family. He cares about us and he loves us. He embraces us and holds on to us. He disciplines us and cares for us and continues to raise us up unto his glory. How good is God? So how do we share the good news to those we care about? We listen and we learn. Not to me, but we listen and we learn from them. We listen to them. We learn about them. We hear their stories, what's going on in their lives. Yes, that means we build relationships where things get messy. See, one of the hard things about sharing the gospel, though, once we build a relationship is We get scared we're going to lose that relationship. What if I share my faith and they never talk to me again? We're afraid of being rejected. And what Jesus assures us, what Scripture assures us, what we see through Peter and the disciples, what we see through Paul's life, is what we can count on, is being rejected for Christ's sake. Yes, we will lose some relationships. But what do we gain when we share the good news and someone comes to faith in Christ. We gain more brothers and sisters. Our family grows. So we build these relationships, hearing their lives and their stories. And we remember this this gospel that has those four movements. And so we begin listening to their story and listening to the movements of their own stories, of their own lives, of what's going on. Looking for answers to where do they find their identity as they're talking about themselves and what's going on. Is their identity located vertically and find it from God or are they searching out in the world horizontally to see who they are? Where is their unbelief? Who or what is their fundamental problem that they blame in their life? And who, what, or how will they be rescued from it? We don't normally think in these terms when we hear people talk and tell stories about circumstances and things going on in their lives, but if we begin to be gospel fluent, we will begin hearing it this way. Because we'll be listening for those places where unbelief has crept in. Where the truths of God have been traded for something lesser. 
What does hope look like or transformation in their lives? You don't have to ask these directly. But have them running through your head as you're listening to others. Paul says, then as you do share, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You say, Pastor, I still don't have the words. I told you at the beginning you have the words. Maybe you just haven't discovered them yet. So ask yourself this. What is it that made the gospel good news for you? What made the gospel good news for you? What is it about Jesus that changed your life? There's something in the answer to these questions that gives you the words to talk to others. It's the only authentic way to really talk to someone else about your faith is to actually talk about your faith. We've learned over these last eight weeks what gospel fluency looks like, how it impacts our lives, how it impacts all of us. But Jesus makes it clear that it's our vocation, our calling, our mission as followers of Christ to share the good news of Jesus. Be in love with the gospel. Be so in love with the gospel and Jesus Christ. It just exudes from all that you do. You will walk in rooms and light them up in ways you've never shown before. And be ready. Pray for courage. Because God's going to open those doors and you need the courage to step through them. Continue to surround yourself with others in the faith. Because here is a, it's a good place to be able to practice with one another. It's a safe spot, right? We can, we can practice in this room sharing the faith with one another and telling the truths of Jesus because we know no one that we gather with here at church is going to be offended that we're sharing the truths of Jesus with them, right? Well, we hope. We hope. But it's a good training ground. Practice with each other. Practice with yourself. Remind yourself daily what made the gospel good news for you. You know it. It changed you. Let us pray. Loving God, we are grateful for the good news of the gospel for the good news of Jesus Christ, of your patience, of your love, of your kindness. Oh God, we pray 
that you will open doors for us to share the good news of Jesus. And when you open those doors, O oh God, guide our feet through them. Give us the courage to take those steps. Allow us to trust in you and your spirit for the words to speak. And may we speak boldly, seasoned with grace, so that we may bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.